Ernest, what's up? Y'all know I'm big on doing your research, sharing your research, and giving credit to where you found the research. But I always get asked the same question. Where do I start with the research? And the answer is easy. It's our sponsor, Yahoo Finance. Whether I'm tracking the daily movement of my favorite companies, doing technical analysis with their easy-to-use charting platform, or checking balance sheets, Yahoo Finance makes something very complex simplified. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or you're looking for extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. You could actually securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including your 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors. And it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. With a community of over 90 million users each month, their real strength is helping you on your way to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com. The number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. You heard me, yahoofinance.com. Don't wait, don't hesitate. I use it. You should go over there and start using it now. Conviction. You know what I mean? Because I'm convicted. I'm super passionate about music. I mean, if I don't have, and this goes for anything, if I'm dealing with people, you know, uh, in other parts and other companies, I love conviction. The fact that you will fight lions, tigers, and bears to be in a position that you always wanted to be in, it just it does something to me. And that's what I see in artists. And, you know, some artists come convicted but aren't talented. But, you know, um, I'm always fighting for the passion and conviction for artists and the visions. Like, visionaries are very important to me. My graduates from my school being Forbes, bag drop. Bag drop. <laughs> a mic drop. Bag drop. Bag drop. All right, guys, welcome back. EYL, Atlanta headquarters. This is like our second home. Fact. You spend so much time out here. Shout out to our guy Rose. We stopped by his car show. The biggest. Yesterday and gave him exclusive access. Extremely inspiring situation. Yeah. Um, anytime we get a chat with Rose, it's always funny. He's a real funny dude, actually. <laughs> Shout out to the promised land, man. So, yeah, I know we love music. So, this episode is something that I'm actually excited about because, you know, we've talked to like a lot of musicians that's in front of the camera a lot. We look at Fat Joe, Jim Jones. Uh, T.I. Master P. Master, well, Master P's kind of music. Oh, he did both. Yeah, yeah. But they're all like real famous. Mm-hmm. But my favorite interviews have actually been with the mu- music people behind the scenes. Chris Gotti. For sure. Uh, that's one of my favorite cities there. Yeah. Um, Jay Jeter. Jerry Jeter. Not Derek. Jay Jeter. Jay Jeter. Yeah. Um, Dame, but Dame's kind of. He ain't behind. He's still kind of. We'll be hard pressed to say he's behind the scenes. <laughs> But those are always good stories. Yeah, Burns, for sure. People like that. Um, so, Don Cannon. No, we got to do it right. No. <laughs> I'm going to get to that point. Cannon. So, <laughs> I always feel like whenever there's a partnership, there's always one person that's more 
out there a lot of times, right? And then there's always one person that's more behind the scenes. So you might have heard of DJ Drama, I'm pretty sure. DJ Drama, Legendary, Gangsta Grills. Mm-hmm. Gangsta Grizzly! <laughs> yeah, yeah, fact. So, drama always been a legend for like, you know, as long as I can remember. But his partner, Don Cannon, so he... If you don't know Don Cannon, you probably heard the drop. Cannon. Cannon. You got to do it right. So you're from Philly originally, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So you, so you guys came out here and started a food called the Affiliates, right? Yes. yes. Philadelphia, moving to Atlanta. Yes, sir. So. Yeah, but it's not just you and Drama, right? It was you, Drama, and Sense? Drama and Trendsetter. Okay. Um, there were some other members that we had as we expanded okay. as a DJ crew. Um we uh we offspring from the Super Friends, which originally was like DJ Mars and DJ Trauma, uh, the legends of Atlanta first. Gotcha. And, uh, we springboarded it all and dropped. So, I guess the best way to describe you, DJ, songwriter, producer, label owner. Yes, sir. Um, music man across the board. But and another thing is, you guys aren't really vocal as far as like dancing in the video and stuff like that. But they actually have a very impressive record label, one of the most impressive rosters, yeah. headlined by Little Uzi Bird. Absolutely. And Jack Harlow. Hottest out right now. So, that's comparable with anybody right now. Uh, yeah, I'll put it up there. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I, you can't go anywhere out here in that glamorous. Just those two. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can't. Nah, you can't. I mean, that's general. Like, my kids know that song. Yeah, adults know that song. Because it's not like, right, you know Little Baby's on quality control. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's like it's branded um, where their label is, is you probably didn't even know the name of their label. Yeah. Was that done intentionally? Yeah, because when we started, um, we really wanted, you know, when we started, really, uh, we had an artist named Willie the Kid, and one of the things we were doing, we were, we were overshining the artists. Mm. You know I mean? We're out in front, we're pushing it too much, and people don't give a chance for the real talent to come out. So they basically were like, man, y'all just front running, front running. So when we started this time, we was like, yo, Let's just be like the Verizon Network. I know y'all remember the commercial where the person's out there and they just had the network. Yeah. We just always wanted to be the Verizon Network to the artists. That way they can live on their own, um, express their true talents without us being people saying, oh, they just co-signed it. That's why it's winning. And that's what the attention was. And, you know, um, it's a gift and a curse because later on you have to kind of push the name to give, you know, the effect of the housing. Branding. But, um, you know, later on, you know, earlier it was just perfect. You know, Jack can run around and do his thing and not feel like we like he has crutches. You know what I mean? Mm, so the original, like I heard Drum say this, he was saying like originally Generation Now was for artists who weren't going to get the Gangsta Grills because that was like major. Yeah. Like you had to be a major artist to get that. Yeah. And so who was like the first couple artists that you thought, found like, you know what, this would be a great fit for Generation Now going forward? Uh, The first artist... Honestly, we had two. So one was Uzi Vert. One was uh, Scheme on okay. the West Coast. He was already an underground king. People loved him uh, running around. He was, you know, um, rapping, you know, different ciphers and stuff. And then, you know, Uzi was something I found being on the road DJing in Atlantic City. I was riding back from Atlantic City, and I heard him on the radio. I called the radio like, who is this kid? It's like, it's this new kid in Philly named Uzi Vert. I slid right back to Philly. I, like, I need the meeting. He hooked me up. I met with him in this dungeon, uh, or real dungeon, in like Manny Young in Philly. And uh, it was just in there. He had his hoodie on. He was playing me records. And all of them was fire. And then he started telling me all the stuff he was listening to. So by the time I got back to Atlanta, I told Drama, I'm like, yo, because we had stopped doing the record label thing for a little bit. Mm-hmm. I took a job at Def Jam. It was just learning the ins and outs of the business. 
Um, and, you know, through through the trials, I was like, John, we should do it again, bro. Right. And, you know, Leighton, uh, Lake Morrison was one of our partners, too, mm-hmm. managing drama at the time. We just made the collective. And um, the, the most important thing in that whole space with Uzi was that the whole time we was in Philly, he was acting like he didn't know who I was or whatever. <laughs> he was just like, it's all good. <laughs> back to land, I tell John, like, yo, let's start again. I showed this, showed him the kid. He's like, come on, let's do it. He called me randomly, like, yo, you gonna sign me or what, man? What we doing, man? Who's he? Yeah. What, what we doing? <laughs> you know what I mean? You gonna pop this thing off? Like a what? teenager. I was like, oh, he's like, yeah. He's like, man, I know what you do. I know what's going on. Let's get to it. And that's what the most important thing I was, I knew he was convicted and convinced that we was a team for him. Yeah. So a lot of, I'm sure a lot of people come to you trying to express their talent. Absolutely. What is, what are you looking for when you're trying to find an artist to be that next person on generation now? Like you saw the, the conviction in Uzi, but in other artists, there's things that you're seeing and not seeing. What what are some of those? Me personally, conviction. You know what I mean? Because I'm convicted. I'm super passionate about music. You know what I mean? And if I don't have and this goes for anything, if I'm dealing with people, you know, uh in other parts and other companies, I love conviction. The fact that you will fight lions tigers and bears to be in a position that you always wanted to be in it just it does something to me and that's what i see in artists and you know some artists come convicted but aren't talented but you know um i'm always fighting for the passion and conviction for artists and the visions like visionaries are very important to me because we can we can go out here and make the dopest records but if you don't have a vision for where you're going i can't help you as an exec or i can't help you as a producer or executive producer because it doesn't allow me to, to give you, you know, the um, the nutrients to grow or the band-aids to fix what's wrong. Mm-hmm. So that's like my most important thing is just conviction and being passionate about this. You know so, what I mean? Let me ask you this. All right. So walk me through this as far as you actually being a label owner, right? The business side of partnering with a label, mm-hmm. let's start there. How does that look? Like you have an imprint. You're with Atlantic? Yeah, Atlantic. All right, so you go to Atlantic, you say, you know, we want to start this label. Mm-hmm. How does that, do they give you upfront advance money? It's like a partnership. Like, mm-hmm. how does this work where you actually have a relationship with the label? So um, how we started at first, uh, we signed Uzi as a production company. So we went to get distribution and help from the label. As we grew, we grew into a joint venture. Obviously, joint ventures, you know, sharing profits 50-50 and taking on, you know, the artists in the world together. When you're, when you're a production company, it's kind of like, I I do what I say, you know what I mean? And y'all follow through. And then, you know, in a joint venture with Atlantic, it's just, you know, we're putting our heads in together to build artists. Uh, we still have control over the budgets. Um, sometimes it's advanced, sometimes it's not, but mostly we don't get advances for signing artists to the joint venture it's to the artists solely um you know joint ventures you know normally you don't take care of all the financial strife obligation Mm. so the record label will come in and help financially with the infrastructure yeah and that's the benefit of actually doing that as opposed to completely completely independent yeah right absolutely plus you know even the infrastructure like we came with a whole infrastructure already we had our ARs in place. We had a general manager. We had creatives already ready. So it was like a win-win for them. 
We just wanted to be in business because we had the eye and the ear for the talent. And, you know, it's easier than, you know, and, and it's coming at, you know, the past five, six years, you know, maybe longer than that. Label was a bad word. Mm. You know I mean? So it was like nobody wanted to sign to a label. So, you know, just having an incubation is a protection for artists too, to, you know, feel like, you know, somebody's caring about them. You know, they won't have to keep blowing up the label to figure out how they can get a video done on a budget. You know, they got people speak, uh, speaking for them and they can be creative. Yeah, when you, when you started with, with Drum, right, and I think y'all, y'all had a situation at Asylum? Yeah. Right, and then you took a break. Obviously, you went, you went to work at Dev Jam and came back. What's that conversation like, right? Because y'all started in business, and then y'all weren't partners anymore, yeah. but are we still remaining like a friendship, a brotherhood? And then did you need to have some convincing to say, all right, I have the situation, I think we should do it back? Like, what was that conversation like to, to come back together? It was a tough period because... Um, First and foremost, and I said this before, uh, it's very hard for friends and business to mix. You know what I mean? Mm. So, you know, when I came to Atlanta, he was already moving. He a little older than me. Um, and he was already moving to Atlanta. He had a name. So when I came down, you know, he took me in like, yo, you know what I mean? You talented. Let's, you know, got partners. And since as well. And um, in around 2006, we went to Asylum. And we had a situation, but again, we was front running it and, you know, people we were signing, we was just being too in front of the idea of the artists, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So then, um, you know, the, we had the raid that happened yes. and that kind of drove a wedge because at that time we didn't know why it was happening and what for. All we knew is we were young and hungry. Uh, we were booming in the mixtape and breaking artists that wasn't ours, yeah. you know what I mean? And, um, Honestly, I think that if we had like a Kevin Lyles or we had like a Russell Simmons or somebody to come put arms like, yo, I see what y'all doing with the mixtape game. Yeah. Um, this is how y'all turn it into a real business or this is how you start signing artists to yourself, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I think that would have helped us a lot. But I think that that raid drove a wedge because we didn't know what to trust. You know, we, had, we were going through, we had separate lawyers, financial stuff was mm-hmm. going on. So we kind of were pointing the fingers. And so we separated. And then, you know, once we had a chance to come back years later and sit down, the first thing we was like, why are we mad at each other? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's what happened. And, um, and you know, that's how we got back into the swing of things of, you know, honestly building a business. Again. Yeah. So two things really quickly from a, a business standpoint, um, you guys were building artists, like if they got it, like I said, you got against the grill, you were major and it helped that's- spread the growth of that artist. I wonder, like, if labels were looking at it, like they were trying to get their artists to be on. And from that standpoint, did you guys see it from your business end? Like, you know, we're, we're building all these artists. We should we should have ours. Like, let's really focus on what we have to do. Like, were those two things happening simultaneously? Yeah, it was tricky because, you know, from 2003, you know, our first, I always tell the story, too. I think Drum told it. Uh, Generation Now started as a mixtape. Mm. I mean, our first artist that we broke on it was Stat Quo. Joe Buttons and Kanye West. The second one was um, Corey Guns, Joel Santana, and I think um, Freeway, right? So as we were building, we got into a space where mixtapes was just for everything else. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? It was like, we was getting that, thanks for blowing up the artist. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and you know, and the labels came in and they used it as a vice but it was still a great area in mixtapes because it was still like a ground level marketing 
uh, scheme. You right. know what I mean? So you know, we brought a we brought some things to it where we were taking one artist, breaking them through mixtapes, and traditionally uh, mixtapes was a bunch of songs from different artists. If one catch, then that's how they blew up. You know. <laughs> Um, we were doing one whole mixtape with an artist, so it looked like an album. Mm-hmm. So we were in the, you know, in the raid situation. We were, we didn't understand because a lot of the labels, it was a great area for them. You know, they're locked into the RIAA, you know, and it's just a lot of copyright things going on. So it was, you know, we didn't know what we were doing. We were doing everything safe and, you know, you know, from the jump positive, and it turned into a negative thing somewhere down the line, mm-hmm. and we didn't understand. So we're doing all this artists for, you know, labels came to us to break artists. You know, it was no secret. Like it was under the table, it was yeah. like real label checks, you know, and then, you know, it was artists, you know, that weren't, they didn't get that chance. You know, we remember like David Banner coming to see us like, and just, and just running in the Paul wall and just people just like acknowledging a brand and just, it turned into something so big that everybody wanted a part of it. Uh, like you saying, from the label standpoint or the independent standpoint, it just it was there. You know? mm-hmm. So let me ask you this: Some people don't know about what happened. I remember actually what happened because, like I said, I was a big fan of music. Yeah, you guys got raised kind of a weird situation. Like the, the feds came and it was like you selling mixtapes, and um, you wouldn't think that that would be like a federal investigation. Yeah. What exactly? Can you explain exactly what happened with that situation? Um, from my knowledge, and I still still dig in to figure it out, but I think that Atlanta was really big in bootlegging. So, like, a lot of movies, a lot of CDs and stuff, and we have gotten so big as a brand, they were bootlegging our CDs. And um, when they did an investigation, I think they were looking into the CDs from a standpoint of John Legend's on the cover with these guys. Niles Barkley's on the cover they're taking new artwork and putting it on their album and selling the album. Mm. And it's not a mixtape because nobody really picked up the mixtape. I was like, yo, Beyonce's really doing a drop for these guys on, <laughs> on the intros. Yeah. Like, you know what I'm saying? So that was where the great era was like, you know, when they picked up, I think they picked up some bootleggers that had the CDs and they asked them where they got them from and they said it from us. So they took it as all the movies, yeah, I was trying to figure, like, I saw it, it was like Rico, I'm like, how did you get a Rico? Yeah, I'm yeah, like, oh, that. Force Ones, Louis Vuitton, pocketbooks, all that All stuff y'all was involved. I was like the kingpins of bootlegs. Yeah, they didn't even know. They just, they they probably coincidentally had a gangster girls in their hand and was like, where are you getting this stuff from? And they was like, we got it from down there. So they thought all of that stuff came from us. Because when we eventually went to go get our stuff from the actual, you know, the place where, um, you know, the authorities had their stuff, they had everything from fake uh, uh, metal detectors, purses. Yeah, mountains. Fake metal detectors? Yes. Yes, a lot of stuff that they just confiscated, just running in different places. <laughs> and you're looking in the corner like, those are my CDs, man. I'm just here for the CDs. Yeah, it was like, bro, <laughs> CDs, they took, you know, all the computers and stuff. So I think the, the the gray area again was the fact that they thought everything came from us. And once it was figured out, I think, like, we always talk about this. It was this one kid that was a huge fan of us. He worked at the RIAA and he was in there adamantly 
showing them that we're not blue leggers. Like they was playing it for the authorities. Like, yo, no, listen, these guys did this. They helped this artist and did all this. And they actually listened to the kid. And the kid, like, I still don't know his name. Well, I'm about to say, I'm, and now. He pops up one day, so I go, like, thank you. We're going to find him in this interview. He's going to do it. So, you know, he was just basically, you know, uh, campaigning for us around that time. And I think once they understood what was going on, it was like, oh, okay, this is, these are the good guys. And, and, by law is still a space where they can't really like they're the champions raise their arms mm-hmm. because it's still they they're put in place to protect the artists from copyright infringement and stuff so right. it's still like a thing so it's like let's dissolve and just kind of hopefully it goes under the you know carpet or whatever you know so all right so moving along to the music game signing artists mm-hmm. sign Liverpool sign Jay Harlow from an outside perspective, can you give us like a, a dummy's guide to like an artist con, like a standard artist contract? We had the terms 360 a lot. We had like multiple album deals. We had upfront advances and stuff like that. Like, what kind of, what kind of, what's a typical artist deal that you know a new artist can expect to get more regulated? Uh, it's the difference now. I mean, the past three years. I mean, even with like somebody like Twenty One Savage and stuff, when they went into their deals, they went in for master ownership. You know, he said he owns like 90% or something. Yeah. Yep. yeah. And it's crazy because he's a smart dude. I remember him coming to the studio and he was working with Metro and we had a couple side convos and he was like really into like having ownership. And at that time, I didn't understand what he was saying because it was like, man, you're still an artist. Like, how, how's this going to happen? But he got so hot that, you know what I mean? He wound up getting that type of deal. Um, now you're seeing artists going for that. Owning, uh, owning parts of their masters, um, owning their whole masters, people doing license deals where a lot of that's popular now, where mm-hmm. people are just licensing a project for a certain amount of years and getting it back after they're done. Um, you got 360 deals. I don't know if too many people know about 360 deals, but they're just, a, they're just you know, what labels, you know, in dummy terms, look at uh, coverage over everything. So, like, if you blow up in a movie, they want a piece. You, you know, you, you get a commercial deal. You go on tour, deals. merchandising. Yeah, and, you know, there are deals that some people call bad because people don't want them in everybody's business. Some people think it's good. I mean, it's definitely protection on a label side because if you get into a space where you're blowing this artist up and you make them the biggest artist in the world, but then they go on and do movies – you're only in the catalog business now. You're not in, you know, the movie business with them or the sneaker deal business. I'm always that person because I'm always sharing. And it's all about, you know, not abusing it, but being a part where you're sharing the wealth. Like, you know what I mean? If I'm business with you guys, I want you guys to get y'all rightfully own peace. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, so my contract is, you know. I, I wanna now, like obviously you've been in a game, you've seen a lot of artists. Are you starting to see them become more aware? Like the younger talent are becoming more aware? They're becoming more financially literate? Yeah, only because the the access, you know what I mean? Uh, Social media, YouTube, like the access to find out um, what you can do to cut back on certain spendings, you know, what to invest in, how to make money, Mm -hmm. uh, how to get the right deal. How to be, how for it to be in your upper hand all the time? You know, a lot of these deals in the past, you had hired a lawyer, 
and a lawyer would tell you, hey, I pushed as far as I can go with this deal. Mm-hmm. You can take it at 500 grand. I'll leave it. I can't get you the million that you really want. And then some people will take it. But now people are like, hey, I'll do it on my own. And I'll just go indie distribution. I'll go get the million dollars. You know, so many people that's in a positive, the indie artists, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, that we see now, like, you know, Brent Fias is indie. Tori's indie now. Uh, a lot of cats are just, you know, going for what they know in that business because they know that they don't want to lose any, you know, lose any leverage or lose part of the assets, you know, being signed to a label. Mm. So Jack Harlow, how did that develop? Uh, Jack Harlow was brought to us, um, and we were in a we were in a room uh, at the studio. I believe it was the office. He came in and. For some reason, we always get caught in this, it's the conviction. <laughs> this guy comes in totally convicted, uh, well-versed in music, and then his language was different. Like What he was saying, it was like, bro, are you 30? Are you 18? Mm. Like, are you 30? Are you 40? Are you 18? Like, he knows every little piece of information that he needs to go to the next level and that's where i was sold on um the music came second to me honestly because i didn't even want to hear it once i was hearing what he had in his brain and where he was going i was like oh you can fart right now i can we could try to make this work you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so you know the same thing with drama that we just loved his conviction yeah. and the music I and mean, the music was second but it was always dope we just we just knew in that meeting that he knew everything he came from and everywhere he was going. That was, that was important for us. So he was brought to you. Was he familiar with your guys work? I know he's so young, but I'm thinking like Louisville, Kentucky. Does he know Don Cannon really is that he knows drum? He he knows why I am, but I think, and I might be wrong. I wish, I hope you, um, he makes a statement on it. (laughs) I think he was really sold on the fact that DJ drama, he was going to be a part of that legacy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And whatever came from it. You know what I mean? Um, and because I know that that's what people come from. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of the time, drama is the face of the company. Mm-hmm. So I know that growing up, when they hear these tapes and what he's done as a billboard for a lot of these artists, everybody wants to be a part of that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, they know who I am. It's like almost like, you know, Batman or Robin type of thing. You yeah. know what I mean? For them. You know, and that's not how it looks, but that's how artists happen. And that's, I'm cool with that. And I think that's where he was stuck on. So when he had the meeting, it was like, oh, shit, I'm here with Trump. It's going down. Yeah. I'm about to be good. And he knew it. He did, He knew walking out of there who he wanted to be signed to. Yeah. You know, he had meetings with everybody. But he, he, when he came there, he was like, this is it. I know how I'm getting to the next level. Yeah. And y'all are in a very unique position because you're the label owners, yep. but y'all also make the music. Yep. And so, I mean, you play both roles when you're signing artists. Is that typical for any artist that you sign? Like, you guys are going to make the music or you're going to go out and try to find production, which is obviously going to be a different cause. It grows as as we're working. Like, Uzi came in. He had some people that he was working with, but he didn't have a machine. You know what I mean? Uh, Jack came in with a machine. He came in with a guy named Two for One. It was his Metro. You know what I mean? And they they already had their sound. So it was more like, you know, putting some icing on the cake, developing on the outside and not kind of intruding. You know, a lot of companies, a lot of, you know, producers, they intrude and separate 
what was there. I don't know for what reason some people get in a space where they want to control it. Um, some people get greedy, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, but nonetheless, every artist is different. We signed a kid, Seti, now. He came in with a sound. He has a team of producers, you know what I mean? And I help where I can, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Um, Kaluminati is another artist. She's a super big following on social media. She doesn't have a machine around her to do it. So we have to come in and kind of like make the music. Uh, we signed an R&B sensation, Carvina. She came in masterful, but still needed a machine to help her make the sound, you know? So let me ask you this. Let's have this tech conversation. When did, when We're going to talk about the app, but when did you get heavily involved in tech or you always in tech? It's something I grew up in. Um, I always tell this story again. I was five years old. I did my first wedding DJ. At two years old, I got my first uh, turntables my uncle gave to me. You know, um, Some people just called me a prodigy. I always was in it. But you know, when my mom used to get computers like Hero Packard at, um, at like nine years old, 10 years old, yeah. I was in there figuring with the C dot command backslash trying to figure it out. So I was always into the tech space. And as I grew, um, it just always was equipment tech. It was computer tech, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And um, even even 2007, I was one of the first DJs to have an app. I had an app. It was real, like, my name, like Don Cannon. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So um, the, actual, the actual app just showed the events I was DJing at, um, where you could find the tapes, because we still had some at that time. Um, where you could pull up on me, and then that grew into uh, you know a YouTube series I did called Studio Rats, and I was basically a lot of people in the studio just actually seeing us work and do certain things. So the tech just grew with me, even in, the, in even in my home. It's like iPad control everything, uh, iPhone control everything, mm-hmm. just all tech stuff. I'm in every new plug-in VST that's coming out on computers. I have to have every gadget, every Apple computer that drops. I have it. If I need a PC, I'll buy it. If I need, you know, I got little cameras. I just bought like the pandemic. Bought every gadget in the world. I didn't even need it. <laughs> bought it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I got pivot where you change the camera. I don't even film myself. I just I'm into technical technology. It just kills. I love it. How about the development process? I mean, obviously you said you had the app, and I know tomorrow is now. Were you super involved in the development process or was it just the idea and let me have a team build it all? Well, my fiance, Kayla, it was actually her idea, but she knew that I was into tech. So when we came together to build it, um, we were heavily involved. Like I went out on a deep, deep dive trying to find developers, like a deep dive. Like, I went into black markets looking for <laughs> the best people. Like, cause um, I had, a, I had some people where we first started, uh, we paid some money. The app didn't, they really didn't do anything. Um, yeah, we've been down that road. It was like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> it was like a fake shell, whatever it was. You know what I mean? So I was like, um, I brought it to the table and I felt like I didn't want it to be a disappointment to us if I didn't find somebody really, because I could really stuck with the guy like, man, you know, do this right. You know, mm. I was like, you know what? Let me skip past this. I'm going to find somebody that really knows how to do this. So then we, we got involved with, uh, a company and they actually 
helped us and walked us through. This this actually com- the company was structured well to where we were in the, in the workings of it, seeing you know screens and just being very involved and hands on. Um, I won't say we were so deep into the coding part. Mm-hmm. I mean, we we were in a lot of the building process for like almost uh, 11, 12 months. Okay, so when, when did the vision for tomorrow come about? What inspired it? Uh, it was a vision that was brought in by my fiance. Yeah. Um, you know, she was really, really heavy into helping creatives and I was as well. So when we collided, it was basically like, we need this idea to help the world. You know, I've run into many people. I mean, you know, as my experience, I'm kind of like the OG, they would call it. You know what I mean? If you guys was coming to me at sneaker con or you know, uh, culture con or whatever, and asking how you start a podcast, you know what I mean? I couldn't give you the answers. Mm. You know what I mean? And I needed to have answers for people in the music industry. So how you can get your projects done, how you can get to the next level. I could always do a million stage presence at, you know, South by Southwest and tell everybody, man, just keep working, man. God gonna have your path. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But there's so much other stuff that you have to do. And that that's a common answer for all of us as we go on stage. It's like, man, we just worked hard and, you know, you keep working hard. The hard work won't pay off. Like it's more to it. So with this idea, it was, it started out as, you know, a broad situation where we wanted all creatives. You know, we started where, um, we were creating a marketplace for if you wanted to DJ a wedding or you wanted to be you know, a photographer for you know, a podcast or whatever. And as I was moving into the world and into the space, especially after um, we did Breakfast Club, a lot of people was like, yeah, 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 we understand, but I want to be in music. You know, that's everybody's dream. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody wants to be in some type of entertainment. So something clicked. One day we woke up, it clicked. It was like, yo, we need to hone in on a space. And it was the music industry. And that's where the whole idea came from. So what does that mean as the app do? The app is a marketplace for creatives um, to find work. So freelancers? Yeah, freelancers. Okay. So it's like producer, songwriter. If you're looking for that, you can go on there and find them. And it's like people all over the world? Yes. So a lot of the stuff is remote, so it's all over the world. Uh, we did a basis in Atlanta where... Uh, a lot of creatives in town, but people are starting to find remote work because, you know, a lot of this stuff is remote already. Like, you know, as we move on, a lot of people don't have studios. A lot of people don't have, you know, houses like you guys have to you do certain things. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in a remote space is the best space for us. You know, I seen Virgil, you know, one time we were talking, he was like, um, you know, rest in peace, Virgil. He was like, yo, my office is walking down the street. I'm on the phone. I'm make a $30 million deal walking down the street. I'm going to make a $3 million deal. And he would just pop up at cafes and like hotels, like, and just that made his office. So being remote is like very important. So, you know, you can go on the app, uh, create a portfolio, show your work on there. And it's also for clients that want to find things, you know. Um, I'm often looking for, you know, photographers, videographers for certain projects for my artists, um, you know, all kinds of stuff. Bro. Yep. It's like Fiverr for music. Yeah, it's definitely, it's, it's a little different from Fiverr because if you look at Fiverr, it's so broad again. It doesn't hone in things. I know they have a drop down screen for music and uh, entertainment and stuff, but it's a little bit too broad. You know what I mean? And it's just like, it almost feels like it's a one stop shop. It's like you get one videographer, one job over with. This one, we're building a community. 
So it's like we're all in there helping and growing together. You know, something that's just not, I got a producer to do one song about it. You know what I mean? It's just yeah. a continuous thing. So it's a network type of network. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so from, from a business standpoint, if I'm a client and I'm looking for a photographer, a videographer, I book them. The company is it is a booking fee, and how does that work? How does how does the business structure work? It pays through the app. Yeah. You know? And uh, what I like about it is, you know, our motto was to get paid super fast. That's what the name Tomorrow came from. Mm-hmm. So to get paid, you know, get paid as easy as tomorrow. And a lot of times, creatives they go through social media and get on their DMs, and they never get paid. You know what I'm saying? Or they got to chase somebody down, or it's just not real business. So we try to, you know, in the inner workings of the app, figure out. What's a, what, how can we make it like an escrow type of situation where the money sits until you click job done and that money goes to the account? Mm. You know I mean? So that's how the pay, you know, that's how the pay structure is. And um, I was really happy about that because our whole time making that was like, bro, one of the pain points is getting people paid fast and getting people paid. And people don't get paid a lot. You know what I mean? So, okay, so let's say a producer charges a thousand dollars for his beat. You take a percentage of that thousand. My market research. <laughs> in depth, it's kind of telling you. It's, it's really you got this model where it's like six, nine, and 12%, I, I believe, like a tiered system you yes, know, sir. based on a variety of different things. Um, correct? Yes, sir. Okay. <laughs> Shout out to the research department. Shout out <laughs> the research department. So, okay. Um, is it launched already? Yes, it's launched. It's been launched almost. I think we're in close to eighteen months. How they already how's launched? Awesome, bro. Awesome. We get a lot of downloads every day. We got a lot of people working through there. Uh, people just hit me up like, "Bro, I need." I feel like, "Oh, go to that." I built something for you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, <laughs> still like you know, in in an educational space, it's always trying to get people to get in a get in a space of. Here is the problem, bro. You can use it. Don't hit me and be like, hey, man, you know anybody I can find? I'm telling yeah. you where to go. Every time. It's a one space where you can go. So, I mean, that's my main thing in education with this is just get what I see in getting people to stop in DMs. Like, yo, I'm in Dallas. I'm looking for a hairdresser for my video, but mm-hmm. I'm trying to stop that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? What's the number one requested uh, profession that you see on the app thus far? Uh, producing. I don't know that's because I'm a producer, but that's the most that I'm seeing. Yeah. You know, um, I believe if I was a videographer and I was in the same position, it'd be more people in that world. And do the, so like if I'm a producer, I put my rate and people can see my rate and then, okay. Your rate, hourly rate, your rate, you know. Yeah. So, so right now this is, is it global or is it just the United States right now? Uh, it's global. Cause I, I've hired somebody from London to do some artwork. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. Uh, uh, kid eight he's in uh london so. so we've got a year under our belt where we see it in the next five years uh we're growing um into some good spaces i think we're we're into making um some more brands out of it people loving the merch of course you know uh as we're moving along um creating you know as we're moving we have to create a better user experience you know what i mean and that just that that comes with apps. You know, mm-hmm. it comes with a photo app that comes with you know videos. You're just creating a better experience, and I think that's what we're we're working on the most. It's creating that love for the app because that's really going people to love the brand. 
Mm. How many people thought about it? Uh, I think we're at 3,500 right now. Yeah. And 4,000? I'm close. <laughs> so that's a mix of people that's actually providing services and people that are requesting services. Yes, it's a mix. Okay. What's your goal 12 months? Like, what? what's your goal 12 months? Have? Um, on the low end, 10,000. On the high end, 35 to 40,000. 40, that's just, okay. you know. I've always, when we first started, my goal was to have at least 10,000 people. You know, um, but the way we're growing, just we're, we're probably in a hundred thousands a year, I believe so. And do you see this more so beneficial for artists or for people providing services? Uh, it's beneficial to both, evenly, I think, because artists still, as I meet them, still don't know what to do, even through like YouTube and things like this, they people can get to DistroKid or get to United Masters, which are all distribution companies, but they're not actually, where do I start? Oh, you had a project done. I don't have yeah. videos done. You know, it's one of these things, like, especially if you live in a place like, let's say, all right, New York, Atlanta, LA, it's, it's relatively easier. Cheat code. Yeah. But if you live in a place like, you know, Idaho, you might not have a producer that's doing drill music. Yeah, yeah. And your neighborhood, like, and it's tailed in because you know, through our mixtapes, we probably did over two, two thousand, three thousand mixtapes, right? A lot of the people were from areas that they didn't get anything. You know, I did, I, I'm, I'll name you some places I did mixtapes with people like Tennessee, Jackson, Tennessee. You've never heard of that, you know what I mean? Or you know, uh, Hattiesburg or Biloxi in Mississippi, like it's that same thing over again. And I'll go to those places and people. And those are some of the pain points. People come, like, Yo, how do I do it, man? Actually talented, but I don't know what to do. I don't have a producer. I don't have a studio. I don't have, you know what I mean? So it's that pain point with the app. It's like, man, you can be from Boise, Idaho. You can be from, you know, Portland, Oregon, places where they don't have a lot of resources. Can you find like professional services on there too? Like a lawyer, manager? We're growing into that. We haven't stepped in. Uh, stepped into the lawyer and manager space, but that's the next yeah. level. From the beginning, we've always said that. I was, I was actually and all that. You know, I was thinking that, and on top of it, if you got the production part, do we have writers now? Right? Are there going to yeah. be writers that'll be part of this? Yeah. Right. But uh, as you were talking, I'm thinking to myself. I said, if I'm a producer, I'm uploading my my work so people can hear it to see if they want to work with me. But on the other end, are you now looking for talent because they're putting their work up there and it's like, wait. This kid is hot. This kid, this person's hot. I might need to meet them. It's a two for one. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. So, like, you know, now I'm uh I'm encouraging people, like, you know, I get 99 plus DMs. I'm encouraging people to get to the app. So I have a streamlined place where I can find talent too. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Or help them. Um, and so when I'm talking to people, you know, I had literally have to get on my live and you know, through all the trolling and through all the stuff from you know, artists, they want to go straight to the artists. They don't mm. care about what I'm talking about. I'm still trying to, you know, streamline it, streamline it, streamline it to a place where I'm like, oh, dude's hot. <laughs> you know yeah. what I'm saying? And I think that's where most of my argument comes from now. It's like I'm getting to a space where I don't want to research as much. You know what I mean? Yeah. Only because... Uh, the fluff takes so much away from your ear and so much away from your energy um, that I need a space where I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm like IG, I'm scrolling and looking, but in a better place. 
Yeah. Can you talk about the process of building the app? Like, where'd you, who, you had it built overseas or you had a team in America? Uh, the actual coders were overseas. The actual team was in New York. So, you know, the, the name of the team was Blue Label Labs. They were a big company. Uh, they actually were building apps already. Um, and I think we, for the most part, had uh, a lot of what we wanted to see design-wise, how we wanted to look. Um, and they just helped bring the vision out. Uh, I'm gonna give you some. I'm gonna give you some crazy numbers. So when we first started to build that was 240,000, mm. um, and that was bootstrap. Um, as we got, we we went along. We had to have maintenance. You know, it varied month to month, so that jumped up to about three, four hundred thousand. Um, we had some changes in designs. Uh, we threw in probably another hundred thousand. I think at the moment, bootstrap, we're like in the 700,000 range. And still monthly, it's a monthly yeah. charge to maintain, right? It's definitely main, maintenance. Um, we haven't did really no marketing yet. That gets crazy expensive. Mm-hmm. My next question, how, how are you marketing this? Well, if you want um, we're just on the biggest platform. Right now, so <laughs> I'll tell you. I'll tell you one way. Just just creating uh, relationships is our marketing thing. You know, growing up in marketing, I know you know from you know getting these artists there. People been stealing money for years. Marketing, you know what I mean? Um, really, just overcharging what they did to the cold crush. You know <laughs> but uh, just, you know what I'm saying? Being in a space where uh, I know the marketing is like, hey, let's not dump a lot of money into the space. Let's just build relationships. Let's see where we can be, uh, you know, be a, a vessel to other people too. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I mean? I don't want to just come and just take, I want to build relationships. I want people to be able to pick up the phone. Like you're building a new relationship. I want you to pick up the phone. Like, hey man, I know this kid. Or not even in music, just be like, yo, I want to pick your brain about certain things that I'm not really, you know, well versed for. I'm about to do, you know, an interview with, you know, Jay-Z. And I just want to ask some cool questions, but I don't want to act like I don't know what I'm talking about. It's a relationship thing. Mm-hmm. Or it could be, yo, you you had let's go, you know, overtime and go shoot some hoops. It's a relationship thing. So mm-hmm. that's how I see it until we get in a space where we need skyline billboards and stuff like that. To kind of promote the brand, but I'm on a I'm on a campaign ground level, boots to the floor, just building the relationships to you know go back and forth. You know, just have a have a um, olive branch. Can Can you talk about having a successful business that you have with the label, and now creating another business and trying to make it equally as successful? Are you balancing time between the two? What's that like? Because a lot of people will say, "I have something that's great that's working. Let me try to create something new." Yeah, when you already have something that's already established, what's that been like for you? I, I talked earlier about um, just not having an OG when we were, we were young, coming putting their arm around us, and as we learned um, later in the years, we became uh, well versed in the business side. So when we got to that space, and we knew what it took to make a powerful, um, important, stable in the music industry. Now I know how to balance that between the two. So now I can have I can have most of, uh, you know, I don't have to throw the apples all over here. You know, I can do both because the importance of it growing in that business and being successful is the team mm-hmm. that you build around you and the people that are convicted to do it. So, you know, when we're in a business, uh, 
rarely find people that help you. Like a lot of people are, are being general manager and producer at the same time. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Artists at the same time. So when we build that strong team, it's the same thing we're building on the tomorrow side. So it allows me to be who I am and not put so much stress on keeping this company afloat while I'm building this company. So that's just, you know, the blueprint of what I think is just the team, the teammates allow me to, you know, move back and forth and not, you know, use 90% of my brain for music, 90% of my brain for, you know, app and vice versa. So that's where I'm at with it. So you said you bootstrapped everything. Have you ever thought about taking outside capital, VC or angel investors? Or? Yeah, we did. And, you know, this might be me at fault. I'm so passionate about everything that I'm willing to dump everything I got into an idea. And that doesn't come from everybody. You know, you can call it smart, you can call it dumb. I'm the guy that believes in something that goes to the end of the earth for it's just me and my loyalty on, on things. And um, we started out thinking VCs, but we were so we were also so into having people be a part of it. Again, what I'm talking about, creating relationships that we wanted friends, family, and producers and everybody to have a part of it. So what we did start with, we started with Start Engine which was like something that we could have allowed people. So we allowed them to be a part of the company, uh, you know, at a lower rate, you know, for a long time. Like, you know, I don't know if y'all know Isaac Hayes, but we always had long drawn out conversations from 2006 about music all the way into now. And the one thing we do talk about now is just how we made such a ton of money. We never were able to get in with accredited investments on this. You know what I'm saying? So we always was like, you know what? Um, he started first. He did it start engine and it was very successful. And we jumped in. It was like, we want people to be a part, but the educational part of it is still like trying to get people. They're taking baby steps into investing. I think the pandemic scared everybody and didn't know where the world was going. And, uh, they wind up saying, Hey, the world might end tomorrow. I'm about to start investing. Yeah. <laughs> 250 I was going to put on Jordan's here. <laughs> Take it. So uh, we did it for a little bit of time. We got like maybe 70 to 80 investors. And then we was like, you know what? Let's hold on it. Let's try to, you know, build on an idea of, you know, uh, the music industry and then come back and revisit it. Um, and that's where, you know, I'm at with it now. So, so as far as um, your career now, which pathway do you see yourself focusing more energy in, or what's the pathway that you think is the more big ticket items? Building the record label, music side, or building the app tech side? Um, it's crazy because both um, are assets. You know, none of them are a liability to me at this point. Plain words. Yeah, very smart. Choice. This guy's great. This guy's great. <laughs> the reason Cannon strikes again. <laughs> the, reason, the reason I'm saying is because uh, when you're when you're in a label, you own a lot of catalog. You know what I mean. And if those artists become legacy artists, you wind up owning a great piece of good catalogs. You know, you seen Barry Gordy do it for years. Quincy Jones done it. Puff's done it. You know, he's built an awesome catalog. So that's what we're into. It's an asset. It's just building on your portfolio. And, um, you know, as far as the app, it's the same thing. You know, I look at it as a unicorn. I feel like it can be one of those things. And one of the, one of the, the unique spaces of it, it's not super, super social. It's not like you got to, you know, um, go in there and they really didn't want to work with you. They just wanted to date you. You know, it's like 
you know, it's not really in that space. So I think like being, you know, when you have those special capabilities, it becomes that unicorn, becomes that piece where um, it can be something for the long haul. So let me ask you this. As far as people selling their catalog, you just mentioned that catalog being an asset, mm-hmm. being a label owner, and especially with these artists that you have, Uzi Vert and Jack Barlow, they're going to have some real big records that's going to be kind of like, you know, timeless, it looks like. How do you feel? What's your thoughts on people selling their catalogs? And would you ever consider selling your catalog? Um, yeah, I, I've considered it. Uh, my thoughts on selling a catalog is for people that want to get in a certain space. You know, music, everybody thinks this is like where you get rich, where, you know, some of us only get money every six months. Some of us only get money every three months. If you're fortunate and you produce and DJ, you can go out on the road. Um, a lot of people don't get the money. A lot of people don't believe in being here forever. You know what I mean? On both sides, on life and music. So a lot of people are like, man, I can get the money up front for the great catalog I got and make other business decisions. And I think that's where the pandemic, again, has taught us. It was like, yo, the world can end tomorrow. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So a lot of the people that are selling their catalogs, like, hey, let me take 75 million and build some assets. I may be able to uh, start, you know, a company over here, then I can invest in tech here. Like again, we came up with no knowledge. Like like the Timberlands and all these guys, we never got a chance to get in on a lot of these deals. They always flush us to real estate or liquor or clothes. We never got a chance to get in on Uber. Exactly. We never got a chance to start a tech company. Like we don't have enough money all the time to bootstrap these ideas. So you know all that to say this that you know I would consider it because I know the options and I know the availability that I have now to get certain things. And I think that's where a lot of people that are selling their masters are getting to. You, you said legacy artists, and I think we've me and Rashad had this conversation a bunch of times. The state of the, the music, right? Like we grew up in an era where we got to see these these acts grow and mature and age and be able to perform long term. In today's climate, where the music is very quick, a lot of times very disposable. Do you see legacy artists coming from this new generation of, of I guess, hip-hop? I still think there's a chance. I think, you know, most of the studying I'm doing is what's coming after streaming. Um, I think streaming, first and foremost, I think half of streaming came from us, you know, in the raid, and that whole thing happening. It was like, oh, no more CDs. That shit is over. <laughs> you know what I mean? To streaming, like, a lot of sites, like, live mixtapes, that piff went into streaming mixtapes and downloading. Right. And then it went into, you know, the whole streaming world. But I also believe that um, streaming uh, took us in a space where, you know, we got 200,000 records released every Thursday night. Don't allow us to absorb anything. I remember right. going to the store and it was so many things that made us like a record. On a Tuesday. See what I'm saying? Yeah, we come from the Tuesday releases. That's right. Tower <laughs> Records. So yeah. If I went to Tower Records and I bought Method Man's album, right? And I might met you, and you was like, yo, it's Biggie Hard. I'm like, how you know? I'm like, follow him, da da da. I might just cop that too. Yeah. So the experience is different. And then I went to the car and put the CD or the tape in. It stayed there. 
and you got my car, you didn't tell me if it was whack or not. Yeah. It's like, man, I bought it. I stood in line for this. You know what I'm saying? Got your C- booklet 30 times. I'm looking through your CD case. Oh, yeah. I see what you listen to. Call something whack. I yeah. liked everything almost when I was young. Yeah. You know what I mean? Until we got to a space where we're, uh, we're unloading all this music on our on each other to the point where we can't absorb nothing. You know what I mean? The album lasts a week now. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And um, it's tough because as much as I love the access to being able to drop music, I'm still in a space where I'm like, hey, we need to be able to kind of condense it to where these releases are staggered. Maybe some on Monday, some on Tuesday. And it's still in a controlled space where you know everybody's trying to chart top and you got to be in on a certain time to chart top. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that where I'm at now, not even on my age, I'm still a fan. Thursday night, I should be like, Kendrick's coming out, I want to listen. Drake's coming out, I want to listen. Mm-hmm. For all kinds of reasons, studying, seeing what they did, how much work they put in. Now it's like, yeah, I'm going to listen to it one more because the access is different. You know, mm-hmm. If I didn't get the Best Buy to get that CD, it was over, it was sold out. I was bitching. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I think that messed up a lot of the wave of music and the legacy artists. Um, there's some people, like, of course, Uzi, that has a cult. Playboy Cardi has a cult. There's a couple of pop artists that have a cult um, that's still there. But one false move kind of takes it into a different direction. Mm-hmm. And I think that's because of the access. I don't think that's because of the person. You know, just, you know, every little story from walk down steps, I fall. I'm on the blogs and they make making fun of me. Everything. Yeah, we started Dirt. We did his first mixtape and that was a mixtape. <laughs> it wasn't. We weren't on DSPs just yet. It wasn't in that space, you know. We were still that piff and you know live mixtapes. So when I say leg- when I say legacy, when you look at catalogs, it's like uh, Jada Kiss is almost twenty five years in. Uh, cool J, you know, Snoop started in ninety one. Yeah, Fat Joe's you know on. Yeah, Fab is out here. Nah, it's of course. The only time it tells though, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 Probably wouldn't have thought that Fat Joe would be a legacy artist. At the beginning of his career, definitely nobody would have predicted that thirty years later he would still be listening. One of the hottest yeah. people, he's like a Snoop Dogg almost at this point. Like, even if he's not rapping, but I, it's hard to predict. Well, the problem is, think about this: when Fat Joe came out and Snoop Dogg came out, there was one Snoop Dogg, there was one Fat Joe. Now it's like if I get big and streaming, I'm going to be a little baby, and then he's going to be a little baby. And that person will be little baby. The legacy dies because it's so much of that. Trying to be other people. Yeah. Absolutely. So when you're looking at, you know, those guys back then, like there was only one Slick Rick. I'll, I'll bring it younger. It was only one Jadakiss. It was only one Locks. You know, it was only one Wu-Tang. So it's like now it's the cement. I may have a shirt. If this get, if you guys become the biggest brand ever, I'm going to copy that shirt. I'm going to have a show called Are Your Leisure, Are Your Business. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it attacks your legacy. But I think people's always been copying, though. And people's always... We've called them, we called them out for it, though. You know what I'm saying? Like, a lot of people call... Like, you think about Wu-Tang, like... Uh, bit of nah shit. <laughs> call people out, and then as a community, we was like, yo, we're not going for that. Yeah. A lot of times I had these arguments where it was like, you can't come in here because you got to get your shit right before you come in this building. We wasn't allowing it. Now everything's allowed. I'm allowed you to wear an orange shirt at the same time. 
We're going to be like, bro, get out the house. But this is orange only. But then, you know what I'm saying? Because <laughs> like, I feel like April, perfect example. You know what I'm saying? Now everybody's doing drill, but previously they all were doing a lot of. He has a lot of people that follow him yeah. that sound just like him. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's still a boogie. I don't think that the people that copied him or were influenced by him, which he influenced a lot of people to produce that type of music, I don't think it hurt his starting. Um, you would have an intense argument. <laughs> and I'm gonna tell you why. I love a boogie. I don't know if I understand or have too much information on what's going on in drill now to have an opinion on it. But I know a boogie has a lot of offspring. But I feel like a lot of the offspring has allowed people not to get deeper in with a boogie and learn how great of an artist he is. You see what I'm saying? So like, that's the cloudiness that I'm trying to get past. To, that will once make him an undeniable legacy artist, yeah. and opposed to an asterisk by his name legacy artist, and it's not his fault. It's because we have too much yeah. flushing from his system. You know what I'm saying? Like, dude is incredible. And he, and he, he boogie like he's super incredible, bro. And the fact that the offspring is hurting a little bit is making me like, man. I'm still the super fan of them. I can't even get to the next level of A Boogie yeah. because I'm still stuck with A Boogie. He's the guy. You know what I mean? So yeah. how do we help them legacies still grow when we got so much? It's not just a couple in A Boogies. It's 40, 50. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's 1,000. That's like, like what Drake said. Every, every song sounds like Drake's picture and Drake. But that's he's an offspring of Drake. But my, 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 melodic, melodic influence, but I would say no, no. It's they gotta be because he's offspring. If, if we gotta go, like it's like saying that he's not an offspring of yeah, he definitely is. Well, it's a piece of culture. Yeah, it's they, they, yeah. So, you can see, you can hear the influence. Yeah, so if you say Kanye, I mean Drake got a little bit from Kanye. Kanye got it from so it's. Our our culture in general. You're always gonna be influenced by. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can hear the influence. Thousand percent. It's like Wayne. Like we, if we look at the what Wayne has done to music, and today's artists. Yeah. You can visually see the influence, but you can sometimes hear the influence. Yeah, we love the influence. So like, you know, that's that's what I'm here for. But I just don't. I want people to be like, he influenced me to be this person, as a um like, hearing Kendra's last album, right. He influenced me to get back into hearing things without a surface mind. I really got to dig back. Hearing the music out, it's, it's flushing so fast that I forgot that the perspective could be human nature. You know, Yo, I, mean? I just said so, this. So that's where, that's where I get stuck at. It's like, holy smokes. Wait. You know what he's saying? Yeah. I have to. Le- I have to I do this with all the stuff. I don't watch the show. I can't watch the magic documentary while everybody's talking about it. I have to go back and watch it when nobody's talking about it. I watch Game of Thrones two years later, understand what it was about. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'll do that with music. I'll, like, Kendrick, I listen to it. The, the, the minute it dropped, I listen to it. I just flush through it real quick. But then I was like, wait till I get my car ride for 45 minutes. I need to digest it. And when I digest it, I'm like, man, dude, it's incredible. Yeah. Because... He lived selfless through that record. A lot of the records, he was like, you know, Black of the Berry, it was oh, coming for y'all. This time, it was like, hey, man, we need to get our act together. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Personal reflection. 
Boom. And now here's what we need to do it all together. Yeah. And what I think of him as a legacy artist, everybody's scared to do what he did because he went to a cliff that nobody ready to jump off of. So that's why I'm like, okay. What cliff did he jump I'm going to talk about some stuff that's going really hurt. Now, you got pain rap now, right? Everybody got out the mud. That's a different pain rap he doing. That's it. This is a like therapy type? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's self-reflection. So it's like, man, it's saying some things that you would normally have to go to a therapist to get yeah. out you. Yeah. He's saying some stuff like, wow, I'm I'm talking about my aunt Just, being gay. Yeah. My cousin growing up trying to be like her or I'm, you know, I'm arguing with my all the, wifey. All my fa- daddy issues. Daddy issues. Father, you know. And I have a father. Father Tom. Yeah. Like, it's ridiculous yeah. the, the stuff that he's talking on. And yeah. I feel like every great artist has always done. Like, when, you know, when I look at DMX, you know, vulnerable in his stories of slipping and, you know, suffering some mm-hmm. that nature. Tupac. Eminem, even, talking about his mom and living in Trailer Park and all that. Mm-hmm. Nas, always, Project Windows, things of that nature. I feel like the best artist throughout time has always made it personal. And and that's kind of like their therapy session is actually getting out what's going on there. And but this, you know, the, the interesting part is what you said is like, look at the guys you named and look at the time period since that. Yep. So like he's probably... J. Cole is an artist that still has very personal music. Yeah, he does. He does. I'm talking about... So like, and that, we had that conversation like with the Kendrick piece is just like, it's a deeper dive. I think the best way to paraphrase is like grown man bars you really got to deal with. Yeah. And, and I'm just tied all together. This is where we come into the legacy talk because I wouldn't, I don't know one rapper right now is going to try to pattern Kendrick in that space. Yeah. You're scared to talk about it. You can't, it's hard to it, copy. It's hard, yeah. it's hard to talk about. Like the stuff that J. Cole talked about, it's hard to talk about. That's not my life. So now it's like the artists that are coming out now, they're living somebody else's life. Like you're living Uzi's life. You're living this person's life. Like, they can't live those lives. Like a lot of people can't live Drake's lives because at any minute he could turn around and say some shit that nobody can say. Mm-hmm. Like, oh shit. You know why? Because people are afraid. So when you have that space where people are afraid to say stuff, it's like, okay, yeah, he on his own. I don't. <laughs> so when you look at artists, are you looking, is that something that you care about? Yes. Is this going to be a legacy artist? Yes. Or is, just, is this a hot artist that can make some hot records? Yeah, that's where one of, one of my, my, my bad points are as a person because I may miss the here and now and I look for the artists that are going to be here forever or trying mm. to be here forever based on what I see and not for nothing a lot of the artists that we have now are people that could last a long time you look at Uzi he's almost nine years in you know what I'm saying like, is he 30 yet? no he's not, not even 30 yet Jones almost five years in his first then came out 2018. So it's like, I'm looking for those guys all the time. And a lot of people are like, bro, you're missing out on a lot of money, a lot of things based on not hitting, you know, a first base hit or double-double. I'm always trying to look for the home run. And, you know, it's a, it's been a gift and a curse for me because it's a lot of stuff that I missed that lasted for two years that could have made us a bunch of money. What's one of the, thing, what's one of the biggest things you missed? <sighs> It's so many that I, I don't even remember. But it's <laughs> like, honestly, between a few of the record labels, um, there's only so many. I don't think we had a, a stab at um, too many that didn't last. Like, you know what I mean? Um, 
I think early on in 2011, 12, we were still trying to formulate and, and figure things out. I think we had meetings to, you know, partner with P on Amigos at some point. Um, uh, Rich Homie Quan was somebody that I really was fucking with back then. You know what I mean? Uh, ASAP Rocky was one of the first people I was fucking with. Uh, just, just a ton of rappers that come my way. Like even Tory Lanez, early, early, early on. You know what I mean, a lot, of, a lot of guys that we missed a lot. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But <laughs> I think it, worked, it worked out. We worked. We missed yeah. a lot of people that were here that made huge success that aren't here, and then people that are going to be staples and we missed them. But you know, when we rap, I gotta ask you, what's your favorite gangster group mixtape? Yikes! It' gonna be. Uh, I got a couple, and for these reasons, um, Trap or Die, because that's part of legacy mm. as a producer. It's where I started uh, with Jeezy, uh, Pharrell, because it was so out the box. You know, what I mean? it was so there was something so different. What was the name of that one? Uh, In my mind, a prequel. So I was like, he was getting ready to do the album, but he can't stop to us. Um, Narles Barkley, because at that <laughs> point, CeeLo was out of his mind. <laughs> Beyond being a hey, I want to do something with you guys. was like, crazy was on our tape. You know what I'm saying? It was like, you need us to break crazy? This is a monster smash. You know what I mean? And then um, I think the very last one uh, would have to be, uh, (laughs) this is going to sound crazy, be like, what? Uh, The Slim Thug, uh, Gangsta Girls. Swim thug, yesterday, yeah. yeah, so um, I built a great relationship with him over the years, but that tape was different because we got a chance to rock with somebody from the South that um, didn't really have a lot of allegiance forcing him to do a certain sound versus him, you know what I mean? And that was like one of my favorites, like just to be able to you know hear a different sound like Three Kings and all this stuff. He just didn't sound like nobody. Mm-hmm. Like some of my favorites. Since I'm, I got a long list of them. I was, no dedications on it? Um, the dedications, they're, they're right behind that. Okay. I'm just saying which had okay, okay. the most of the meaning to me. All right. Dedication could run parallel to Trapper Die only because the Canon record came out of that. Mm-hmm. People will have a tough argument that that's one of my best records or beats I've ever done. You know what I mean? So the dedication's done, but again, Wayne was already Lil Wayne. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was waiting. Like, we were just adding. Yeah. You know, Slim Thug was already growing in his space, but he hadn't reached. Yeah. He, we didn't put the ears and eyes for New York and all them guys to accept him. You know what I mean? Mixtape Wheezy. Mixtape Wheezy is unstoppable. <laughs> but like, a lot of our mixtapes, we've, we've, we've gotten them to spaces where they probably would have went anyway, but just... Growth, you know. Uh, I, my favorite one was Ti. Dalvin King. Yeah, that's a tough one. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a, that's a tough one. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm a Weezy guy. Yo, Shout out to Tip. Love Tip. He a Tip guy. Oh, some people gonna argue me. Right, so I'm gonna ask y'all a question. Top five. Where we, where we at? Where From where? From where? Rappers. Ever. Oh, but before before I answer, I gotta ask you a question now because I know who your favorite is. Who's my favorite? Jay. Of course. Come on, man. Because shout out to the research team. <laughs> shout so, out to the research team. And obviously, when we had Cannon, I go crazy. It's the first thing I think. Yeah. What was it like when you heard Jay on the remix? I can't even drink to this. <laughs> All right. So being a big Jay fan uh, since '96 when it first came out, and it was Jeezy was like, "Man, I got something. To, I got. I want to play." And he was like, 
you gonna like it. So when he was like, yeah, Jay got on this joint. I was like, bro, stop fucking playing with me. I don't even want to hear. Don't do that. Don't, no, no, don't do that. Don't play like that. I'll give you the rest of the beats, bro. This can't be no cap up for yeah. beats or something like that. <laughs> He's like, nah, he went crazy too. I'm thinking, oh, okay, he got on that game, eight, 12 bars. I was all good. And he did 64 bars. I was like, Mariano, Mariano. Bro, I heard it. I think I cried the first day. <laughs> because that was, you know, at that time I was going through a period where I didn't know I was supposed to be producing. Mm. I knew I was dope, but, you know, I wasn't, the triggers going out there, I didn't know people was really fucking with my shit like that. Yeah. So when that was like, oh, I'm here, that allowed me to work with every artist I ever wanted to work with on one song. Mm. Everybody in the rap game rapped on that beat. So I was like, oh, I'm done. I don't have then people ask me, who do you want to work with? I was like, Stevie Wonder. That's the only person <laughs> that didn't touch my record. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I, I've worked with everybody on one song. But that was like that was, a great I mean, it's, that's classic. But I need the top five. I can't leave. Right. I'm going to get the top five uh, in no particular order. Um, Hope, of course, you know what I'm saying? As far as lyrics, as far as just overall swag, Nas is always been my favorite rapper. I gotta go with Nas. Um, Kanye West is somebody that a legend in the game. It's hard to really you look at a producer rapper combination together. I feel like there's no way you can have a list and not put Kanye in. Drake is underappreciated. Underappreciated for his consistency. Like he's probably the most consistent person ever. His reign has not been matched by anybody. So Drake's in my top five, which is a little controversial, but Drake's in my top five. Now, the fifth one is where it gets a little tricky. That's where it gets a little tricky. Because it's like, me, B.I. Is, is dope, but I only got two albums. So it's kind of difficult to put somebody with two albums. And we from New York. I don't even know why you did that. <laughs> it's kind of difficult to put somebody with two albums Killing in, in the top five. Like, Killing small. So who's the five? Who's number five? I, I go I go with Pac. I go with Pac. I go with Pac. Not not necessarily the best rapper, but as far as his influence, mm-hmm. what he was able to accomplish in short in such a short period of time, what he meant to hip hop, I, I go with Pac. I go with Pac. Alright, let's go. <laughs> He's killed me. He killed me. Uh, go ahead. So <laughs> Jay's number one. Yeah. Um, and we can figure out everything else after that. Um Nah, that's for sure. Yeah. Pac for sure. Christopher Wallace for sure. And five, it's a mixture because I got f- some of my favorite rappers that most people wouldn't put. So Seagull is one of my favorites. Mm. Wayne is one of my favorites. Drake, one of my all-time favorites. Yeah. Ye's in there as well. Um, so it would be a mixed bag of those people um, inside of my, my, my five, yeah. if I could. But it, if we did like regional, that'd probably be easier, right? Um, obviously, number one would be Jay. I would go Jay, Jay, Jay would be number Jay, one. Jay, good, Jay, over. Uh, we won't have. Um, we can go anywhere. This ain't no particular order, but Snoop, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Wayne. Uh, I could go. I could go. Of course, Big. <laughs> uh, and I could go I can go uh, I could go either Kanye or Andre 3000 uh, for most things that's, but that's interesting the Tupac thing some people not on the list and they probably gonna kill me I was never a Tupac fan 
Well, you know, I just learned I just learned it in the past uh, uh, about seven years about pop, and I started enjoying this music. Oh. Since you, I thought you were going to say you learned that you wasn't you weren't a fan, uh, or you never was a fan. Uh, I've had tons of arguments on pop being whack up until 2016. So you put Snoop in, in front of Nas. Uh, yeah, I know that sounds weird. I know it sounds weird. That's, 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 oh, Nas wasn't even in the list. No, no, no. <laughs> I just realized that. But I love Nas. No, no, that's dope. That's, I love nah, it's crazy. They did like an NBA comparison to rappers. And they had, obviously, they had like, Jay was Michael Jordan. LeBron um, was uh, probably big. And they had Nas as Isaiah Thomas. Hmm? Yeah. I don't know if I'm going that far. That, I mean, that's what they did. <laughs> was, uh... The Nas J thing, so I've had some tough conversations that where made me take him out my top five. And yeah. like, but Nas is incredible. I mean, if I had it's top, top five is a tough conversation. That's why I asked y'all because yeah. you know I, the kids I'm dealing with now they'd be like Boosie, uh, <laughs> Future, Future, and Wayne. It, they'd be like Wayne is the OG, and then they say these guys and I can't well, argue. I put Drake. Yeah, I put Drake. But they won't even put him in. That's the crazy part. I know. I'm saying the, the, the generation. Just deserves to be in. He yeah, he definitely is. Like the yeah. young kids, they and it's not because of age. They just base it off of again, like you said, region. So you know, a lot of kids I'm running to from the south. Boosie is number one. They favorite rapper, and I would think it would be Tip because I love Tip. Yeah, but they'd be like Boosie number one every time. We we were in the, we, the other night. We was in um we was in a party, and I'm listening. Record after record, and it's future and it's future. I'm like, future's the king of Atlanta. Yep, boost. And we grew up thinking like nobody could be the king of Atlanta except Ti. And I'm like, nah, king of South, what? South, right, right. But then I'm just like, I always had a problem with that saying too. Like them calling him the Jay Z of the South. I just wish he was just the rapper. Like he's good as shit. You know what I mean? I nice as a say he's the king of the South. He called himself that, and you know, a couple times I just was like, bro, you you out there? You don't say. Jay's the king of the north. Like, you know what I'm saying? Or, Jay's like, king, 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 of the king of the west. Like, <laughs> we are the north. You got to stop it. Like, <laughs> king of the south. Yeah. It was good marketing. That was good. Just, I felt like the region. Rick Ross, Rick Ross is, 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 he's he probably uh, one of my favorites. Favorites. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Yeah, yeah. Shot the Ross. He was king of the south, but then it was the best rapper alive. Yeah. Anything after Big and Jay, and we get into discussion. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But, you know. PRG. That's it. You got B.I.G. in your top five. That's interesting. Yeah. He's in most people's top five. Yeah, his, I always, people had the argument with me, like, he didn't have enough albums. I'd be like, his albums alone is 10 albums. 10 albums. If I had to go, there's 20 songs on Life After Death or something like that, five is an album, five is an album, five is an album, five is an album. All classics. Well, I, I can put them in EPs. Like, he got enough, like, he said enough. Like, Kendrick right now said enough for me to be like, yo, you're my top 10. All right, so one of our young boys, shout out to Ab, he says that we can't keep having these top fives and not make room for some of these greats. Mm-hmm. Kendrick is a good name that probably could be in there at the end of his career. He's like the artist. Yeah. Drake, obviously, J. Cole. Mm-hmm. If we had to start moving people, like the cards around, like who would you shuffle out of there? Um, so I had that conversation too. I had these round table so I you know they we say that the Mount Rushmore right yeah. so there's tiers so I think there's the top is just can't be moved and then you have like the bottom tier you just move the top 
You don't have Nas in your album. <laughs> he put out three classic albums in the last 18 months. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. <laughs> 27 yes, he did. years in the game. I, I just had a... Uh, I haven't recouped from Nas joint real quick, you know, and, it, and that's not like be so mad about bro. They're both influenced by each other, like they both pushed each other to be these great artists. So yeah. it's not like it, it's interchangeable, but it's like, like I said, we had three question marks over faces. Jay and Big is up there somewhere. If I if I was gonna be a real person, no no bias, bias I put Pac up there. You know what I mean? Just because of his influence and what he's done. I've seen people from different races love him more in different places. I tell people this time when I start traveling the world, I went to Africa and I went to Japan. Uh, one of the most people, most noticeable faces over there is ludicrous. You know what I mean? Mm. Is you know what I mean? And so, you know, but he was on everything. He was on he was on haircut posters. He was on skylines. And, mm. and some people don't put him in the in a top five, but. He's the most recognizable all over the world. Yeah, I don't, think, I don't think anybody, I've never heard anybody put Ludacris in top five, but yeah. Ludacris played a major part yeah. in uh, that early 2000 era. Yeah. He was, he was. Def Jam himself. Nelly, it was Nelly and then Ludacris. Fact. He, was, he had a run. Yeah, he couldn't be duplicated either. Ludacris. Ludacris? He couldn't. He, the stuff he did. Uh, was the, the, the baby. D. The baby. Yeah, yeah. The new Ludacris. That's what we expected him to be. But I don't think the baby wanted more gangsters. Yeah, he's, he's they weren't, yeah, they weren't the same space. But we expected them because we the funny we identified together. You know, yeah. just like I think that uh, for some reason Chopper in the old Chopper reminded me of what Nelly could have been. You know what I mean? Uh, ASAP Rocky and the ASAP and the ASAP Mob reminded me of what a mixture of Dipset and Bone Thugs and Harmony could have been. Mm. So it was like. You know, we always had this push, but we also we we've never had bi- her baby said, "Yo, Chris." No, no, I don't think he probably. You know what I'm saying? He probably wasn't even influenced by him. But yeah. to me, I, I just I see. Well, we yeah, you know we have seen it before. Yeah, yeah. So we need to start having a discussion, right, about the the tears of Mount Rushmore and stop saying, "Hey, it's five because I love all the rappers up at the twenty. So if we do five, 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 and you guys do lyricists, like yeah. if you do yeah. lyricists, like. You got people like, to me, my favorite, one of my favorite rappers of all time is AZ. I wouldn't put him in my top five, but I don't think too many people's actually been up lyrically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but even, even Nicki, how many yeah. dudes, how many people are yeah. better rappers than her? Bro, Nicki Minaj is definitely a legend. I'm glad we're having this before we rap. Yeah. Yesterday, I was about, scene was about to come out of my head because I was talking with a few of the buddies, they smart, and we was like, yo, top five best female rappers. And I had Nikki number one. Yeah. I had Nikki number one for multiple reasons. But then I got it got funky when I was talking about Lauren Hill and I was upset. Sensitive topic. I want to watch one album every 30 years album. Don't do that. No, it's just a don't do that though. No, 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 Don't do that. Don't do that. You gotta stop doing that. One of the greatest albums. Nobody got more Grammys than No, legendary album, but just one album. No, she was on the score. Both of those are diamond brothers. That's a group that's a group project. The singer, the major singer, she's featured on those. Kill him himself, the that that's her. So are you a Lauren hater too? No, nah, I love Lauren. Oh. But I'm just saying, it's hard to put her. Ready or not, that, come on. That's one album. It's two albums in. Diamond. Songs album. Diamond. Miseducation is an album. There's two albums in 30 yeah. years. Yeah. The, the, the live album. 
Unplug was hard. Okay, you love Nas, right? Did she not kill that verse on Nas last? Oh, she's dope. She's dope. She's dope. He remembered. You know, he remembered. <laughs> That's what boils my blood about this, bro. Because we can go anywhere. Nikki has been consistent for 10 years. Yeah, without a doubt. 10 years. Dude, no, nobody's done what she's done. And there's plenty of room for all of them, and I don't get into the names because this can turn into a bashing of us on the internet. Yeah. But I just felt like... Lauren's not appreciated in some space, and that's where that topic was. She's dope, though. Lauren Hill's dope. I've seen her. I put her in some top 25 MCs, period. They used to have her in it. And um, when the source used to rate, like, they, top 50, and yeah. remember Blaze Magazine? Yes. Blaze had her at number nine, and Nas at 15. I still remember that. That's where the Nas yeah, like <laughs> Ice Cube used to be in the top 10. KRS One used to be in the top 10. Rakim used to be in the top 10. All of those guys. Those guys, all, that's what I'm saying. Like That used to be a Rushmore, and that Rushmore kind of got rearranged. And now it's kind of like, are those guys now cemented? I want to see if in the future, Jay's going to be out some people, because some of these kids still got Jay in the five. Some of them. That's nostalgic purposes. But a lot of people know him. They don't listen. They don't listen. They have respect for him, because they heard he played Pac and Big. They didn't, really, they didn't listen to Pac and Big, but they'll just... You have to say that. Your parents told you. <laughs> Your parents told you. Yeah. It's engraved in history. Yeah. yeah. I'm glad y'all had me on top five. Yeah. Well, always a pleasure. No doubt. Um, this ain't going to be the, the first time and the last time. Nah, it's going to be many times. Yeah. Different yeah. platform. We might be yeah, we love, we love, we love yeah. the coaches. So that's just, this is just natural conversation. But we, do sure. this, we literally do this all day. Every day. Like, we were in a sprint event arguing about <laughs> trap music, like Little Baby. Like, yeah. Yeah. like we do this all day. That's what's up. That's what's up. The five man stuff kind of came <laughs> after that. But it was built off hip hop. Yeah. We got a whole sports conversation too. With sports and hip hop, many arguments, almost fights have been led to that. Late know, night. I just want to see y'all financial arguments. I'm just like, see what they fight over. <laughs> <laughs> Cut um, the cameras off. <laughs> what would you like to tell the people? What, what's the information for the app? How can they download the app? Anything you got going on musically, record labels, all that stuff? Uh, as far as the app, please go download it. It's a place where you can find me. If you want to get put on, I'm looking at all the portfolios. I'm a guy that's behind the scenes digging in. Um, it's in the app store right now. You can go to the website, um, tomorrowapp.com. Um, and as far as music, man, just be ready for everything. We're dropping bombs in 2022, 2023. A lot of secret projects. We have a new signee, uh, Sunny Digital. You know what I mean? We just signed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, we just signed him as a player coach. So basically trying to make like, you know, don't hate me. Trying to make like a chronic album with him and build him as an artist is one of his dreams. He's convicted. He's like a godfather to the young folks. Um, and an R&B sensation, Carvina, Uzi, of course, Jack, Seti Hendrix is our next up. Um, that's just, that's it, man. That's it. Troy, housekeeping Yeah, shout out to everybody um, in EYL University. Shout out to everybody on Patreon. Shout out to the merch. Obviously, orange was the color of the day, if you didn't notice. It's one of our new colors. Shout out to Smitty. Shout out to Bam. Shout out to the whole team. Ab. Mike, of course. We in EYL Atlanta, so shout out to Mike. Smalls is here with us. Uh, shout out to everybody, man. Love is love. Thank you for your continued support. And thank you for spreading the word. We said that from day one, man. The only thing we ask is you tell a friend to tell a friend, and y'all been doing that which has catapulted us to the number one place for everything in the world of entrepreneurship and business. So love is love. We appreciate y'all wholeheartedly. Thank you guys for rocking on. Shout out to my guy, Benio Butcher. 
Ah, the butcher. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to shout out to uh, the whole team. So shout out to Griselda, the whole team. It's on the way. Smith Dog, what's up? He says on the way. (laughs) Thank you guys for rocking with us. We'll see you next week. Peace. Peace. My graduates from my school being Forbes bag drop, bag drop, (laughs) mic drop, bag drop, bag drop. Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at virtual.com podcast.